if you have an ether and you want it to be valuable, then you have to act in ways that bring value to the network. Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Crypto is built by code, but is composed of people, and each individual member of the crypto community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it, and Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code, because Ethereum is people all the way down, and it always has been. Today on Layer Zero, I'm talking with Superfizz, and Superfizz is a community member of a number of different parts of the Ethereum community, the R ETH Finance subreddit, the Rocket Pool community, the ETH staking community. Uh, he's just fascinated by ETH staking, uh, and so I would call him an ETH staking expert, although he probably wouldn't like that expert title. Uh, he's just a commu community member through and through, and living and breathing and dying for decentralized protocols. Uh, and Superfizz uh, is worried at this present moment. He calls Ethereum under attack. Uh, and so what is Ethereum under attack by? This is the conversation of liquid staking derivatives, which has been a very significant conversation in the Ethereum space lately, uh, and how liquid staking derivatives, things like um, like tokenized staked ETH tokens, like uh, staked ETH from Lido, RETH from Rocket Pool. Uh, we talk about the conversation of how liquid staking derivatives might come to centralize Ethereum and what we can do about that. Uh, and so this is a, if you guys are looking to learn more about that conversation, this is a great place to get started. We also talk about other things like um, how Superfizz got started with Bitcoin. Even before getting into Ethereum, we got started with Bitcoin and uh, what, how he felt that the Bitcoin community let him down and the lessons that he has learned from that era of his life and how he has applied that forward to Ethereum. So I hope you guys enjoy this fantastic interview with Superfizz from Rocket Pool, from ETH Finance, from ETH Stakers, right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. What's up, Superfizz? How's it going? Hey, how are you, David? Good, really good, man. Uh, the our ETH Finance and Rocket Pool communities are really stoked uh, for to have you on here, uh, which makes me stoked. But yeah, so I mean, those are my people. Um, I, um, that's where I live. You know, I, I've been I've been an R Ethereum or an R R ETH Finance guy for mm. uh, you know since day one, and ETH Trader before that, and ETH Mining mm. before that, and Ethereum before that. So mm. um, you know, I I really feel comfortable with those communities, and I'm really glad uh, that they like me. That matters. <laughs> does it matter? It does. I mean, it, it's important. Before we, uh, we were talking about the show before this, but uh, before we go any further, uh, you sweating, bro? <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> I make no secret, like, I, I do this, this regimen. Like, I, I have, like, um, peak fizz performance. Because uh, normally, you know, I'm a, I'm a slug. Uh, and so uh, if I know I'm going to do something like this, um, mm. if it's like a launch call or if it's, if it's a, an opportunity to speak, uh, then, like, maybe a couple hours before, I'll take a nap. And then I'll get up and go for a really hard run. Uh, and then I will uh, snag the forbidden coffee. Uh, and it, it kind of lets me, like, uh, be my favorite self. So this is, you're, you're going to get my favorite self, I hope. So you're telling me that this is peak, what peak performance looks like? Yeah. I, I, it's, I, it's sad. Like, this is all. Like, <laughs> you think, I know, right? Like, uh, like, oh, so my, um, I have a goal that I'm not mm -hmm. going to use foul language during a recording uh, because I, I've learned the value of family-friendly media. Like, mm. um, I really want this to be something that, that anyone can play anywhere and feel comfortable playing with it. So I'm 
I was going to make a joke and say, I'm not going to say. Right. <laughs> I, I definitely got in trouble for having a potty mouth on the weekly roll-up, so now I try and keep it contained. But uh, sometimes, sometimes I let it out regardless. All right, so Fizz, I went to the ETH Finance uh, subreddit where you basically live, as far as I can tell, uh, and told them that you're coming on Bankless and so they should drop some questions. So I got, I got a bunch of questions from, the, from your friends and family over at ETH Finance. Uh, and so I also have my own questions, but I kind of want to start with that, theirs. Uh, so this first one, I think, is also the, the question I would have asked anyways, coming from uh, Mazwanos. What drives you to be so involved in Ethereum's decentralization? Uh... I, I've been a part of failed networks. I, I've been a part of other L1s that um, allowed themselves to be captured or followed the wrong goals or uh, drank their own Kool-Aid and sold out on their core principles. And as someone who's been involved with Ethereum for a long time, uh, I, I, I've, I've gone to this place where I don't want that to happen to Ethereum. Like I want Ethereum to to survive and it's something that I'm willing to put energy into. Like it's that valuable to me. Um, so whatever it takes, like uh, whatever I need to do to organize the community, to empower people, to educate people, uh, then I'm going to do what I can to help Ethereum be successful. What uh, L1s were you a part of before you became part of the Ethereum community? I, I affectionately call it a uh, block stream coin um, or, or grandpa. Um, I, I'm one of those people, I don't, I don't like to, to give too much name credit to things that I'm not deeply involved with or aligned with. Um, mm. but you know, there was another cryptocurrency. I think it was founded in about 2008 or 2009. Uh, and, uh, proof of it work? was all the rage for a while. It, well, it is, it's a, perf- a proof of work chain. I think it still exists. I'm not really sure. I haven't yeah. heard much about it lately. Really slow block um, times. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I know, I I know loved, these sites. <laughs> have you heard of this one? I yeah. loved that network, um, but I realized first that the community was the community wasn't always sour. The community mm. became sour, and the chain bec- became captured by people who were not aligned with the decentralization ethos. I mourn the loss of that project. Um, it's funny; a lot of people don't even know it's dead, but. I mourn the loss of it, and I, I like Ethereum enough that I don't I don't want to stand by and let the same thing happen again. Were you on the subreddit during the early days of said particular chain, where a lot of that like because like it, it went through a fork in the road where it could have stayed community aligned or it could yep. have gotten captured by Schmuckschmeem. Um, I, I actually so have I, I have yeah. a uh, a post that I, I absolutely lo- love. Um, it's from. It's from the time that I left that kind of recounted. There are like 16 events that led up to, um, I love you guys, but I'm leaving. Um, and, you know, I, I was I was a careful observer, um, th- the same way that I'm involved with Ethereum. Uh, and there were just so many atrocities, um, such a sour community. Um, you know, it, it's not, it, it went beyond moderating and it got into shaping an agenda shaping a narrative um, that i it's just so unhealthy psyops would you say psyops absolutely um yeah it it could have been avoided um it, it it didn't have to 
that chain could be healthy and, and vibrant. It could be a good partner chain for Ethereum today. But mm. um, right now, it's, it's essentially a shell of its former self. And the only people who still, uh, who still hold it in high regard are the people who don't know the reality behind it. Uh, is there is it the is there a future of Ethereum where Ethereum becomes the chain that you shall not name, uh, and and how do we prevent that from happening? Uh, I, you know, I I feel like I have I have a close enough relationship with Ethereum. God, what is this? I'm like I'm dating Ethereum now. <laughs> Wait, um, I I'll never Ethereum will never be the chain that I don't mention, but I I do hope that it never becomes a cautionary tale. Um, the, the, there's there's a reason I was excited to be on your show today, and it, it's it's to draw attention to the fact that, um, for better or worse, Ethereum is under attack right now. The Beacon Chain is under attack, and it's it's a thing we don't want to talk about. Um, people know me as a happy guy, like they think, oh, Fizz just wants to sing Kumbaya all day long. Um, but we're under attack, and I'm not the kind of guy who is going to say, you know... These are the attackers. Everybody get them. I don't subscribe to that. I think the attackers, in this case, are probably non-malicious. I think that they are probably... They, they, they see themselves as responsible actors on the network. Um, but the role of the community in these cases is, is really to stand up for the network and say, Wait, stop. This, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not what's supposed to happen. Um, and you know some of the things I want to talk about today are are the responsibility of the community of layer one, I'm sorry, of layer zero, to stepping up um, and fighting for the network if they believe it's something they want to be around in 20 years. Because I want it to be around in 20 years. Uh, I, I think a, a way to put a name on the attacker is to call this attacker Moloch. Like it seems like it's a it's a Moloch attack, right? Like it is. It's it's a it's a failure of coordination and it's a failure of of uh, it's an attack on poor human incentives. Uh, and for those that don't know the Moloch reference, Moloch is basically the god of human coordination failures. We did there's some articles on Bankless in a previous podcast, uh, but it's it's basically symbolized in the sense that like if everyone agrees to do this one thing and abide by this one shared standard, you actually increase the incentive to defect from that. And ultimately, because that one person or one entity can defect, it makes the whole thing break down. Um, so Superfiz, to say that like the, for the newer listener or for the people that just haven't div- uh, dove as deep into the world of crypto or don't have the long history, to say that the aforementioned chain who... It's the, it's the most obvious chain. I'm just going to play into the game of not mentioning it, but it's the most obvious chain for those that haven't gotten it yet. Uh, to say that that chain is broken and then also to say Ethereum is under attack is like really strong language. Uh, so before we go into the details of just like how to save Ethereum from a Moloch attack, uh, wh- why, why just use like, wh- why lean into just this whole like very bold statements of just like the OG G, the OG chain is dead. Ethereum is under attack. Like these are big words. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not here on your show to, to get views. I'm not, I'm not trying to sell a message. Um, mm-hmm. I am, uh, I'm a harbinger. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm the, I'm sharing the message as I see it on the chain. Uh, or a- actually, as I see it in the community, to be honest, because I, you know, this is not a chain message. This is a community message. 
Um, in regard to um, block string chain, it, you know that's a personal choice. Uh, that I, I I take full credit for my attitudes toward that chain. Um, it's it's a a chain relationship that I had that I separated from. Um, but when it comes to Ethereum, uh, it's not my message. It's not, um, hey, everybody, Superfizz is doing this thing. Um, I, I work hard to listen and represent the needs of the Beacon Chain. If, if I don't know, you know, I call myself the Beacon Chain Community Health Consultant. I take that seriously. Um, and so I am the guy, like, literally looking at the chain every day and saying, what are we doing right and what's not working? Uh, the job of of the developers of the researchers they're building they're building the tip of the spear and i'm sort of here in the background looking at over over at everything look, looking at the community and saying how are we doing um and we've reached this point where um we have uh, meandered into a crisis uh, and if we if we don't take community action to correct the crisis, then um, I, I I sincerely believe that it. I, I don't think it's going to be the end of the chain. But if 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 Moloch crosses over thirty three percent, I think that we will see. Uh, I, I think we'll see some effects. I think that um, rational sellers will look at or rational participants will look at other chains. Um, I think that um, we'll have set a precedent that it's okay to um, try to monopolize the network. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's it's a failure of coordination. It's something that we can avoid. It's something that um, now is the right time for us to uh, fight for what's right. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and make things explicit because I think people from the Rocket Pool and people from the uh, our ETH finance communities definitely know what you're talking about, but I think many others might not. Uh, okay. what, what's at stake here? What, what do we need to fix? What's going wrong? Um, so the essential issue is uh, the Beacon Chain runs on validators, um, and validators represent a 32 ETH Ether deposit in the chain, um, and then a responsibility to... Uh, validate the beacon chain um, at regular intervals. And so uh, people mostly know staking as a form of making essentially passive income on the beacon chain. Um, beacon chain being the next iteration of um, the proof of stake chain for Ethereum. It's what we're moving to um, around August, hopefully. Uh, right, the beacon chain is future Ethereum. That's right. Uh, and it, it's, it is uh, essentially imminent at this point. Um, and so on the speaking chain, we have, uh, you know, about 300,000 validators. Um, and ideally, these validators represent individuals. Um, so maybe I run a validator in my home. Maybe you run in, in one in your home. Um, you know, our friends have them and we are decentralizing and supporting the network. But what happens is um, people, people... Uh, I guess, I don't mean it's an unkind way. People seek a herd mentality. They look for an easier way to do things. Um, they say, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to run the hardware on my own or I don't have 32 ether or it's too much work, but here's an easier way to do it. If I give my ether to these people, um, even Rocky Pool, if I give my money to Rocky Pool, they'll stake on my behalf and um, 
I don't have to worry as much, but I'm still getting paid. Uh, and that, that mental transaction is sort of where things break down. Um, because I think as, as ether holders, um, if we value, if we value our ether, if we value the future of the network, we have this, this deep responsibility to be good stewards of our ether. Um, and so if we're just value extractive and we're like, Hey, how much can I make from this? Um, then we're going to give our ether anywhere and it doesn't matter. But if we take if we take the health of the network seriously, we're going to look around and say, what is the landscape of, of validating? How can I use my Ether to defend, support, protect, and enhance the network? Um, and so ideally, when you're staking any Ether, if you're staking, you know, one-tenth of an Ether, you're going to look at all the providers and you're going to say... Um, you know, I don't have 32 Ether, but I want to stake. So there are these, you know, one, two, three providers. Um, and you're going to find, if you do that, that one of these providers right now um, has about 32.45% of the validators. That's essentially 100,000 validators or a third of the network. If they cross over one third of the network, uh, they then um, have the ability as a governor to censor the network. Uh, they can prevent finalization. They can say, um, we're gonna hold the network hostage until you do what we want. Um, from the flip side of that, this entity, I don't believe they're evil. So I don't think that, they're, that they intend to do that. I think that they see themselves as the benevolent um, leader. Like, we're shepherding the network. We're trying to take care of everyone. There are so many people who want to deposit and make returns on their Ether. We're just trying to help them do that. Um, but the, the flaw in that logic uh, is that uh, staking on the Beacon Chain isn't inherently about making money. It's inherently about securing the chain. Um, and if you put that financial uh, goal ahead of the responsibility... Uh, then you have this kind of mutilated or mutated incentive profile. And so the the Moloch attack here is coming from, uh, hey, I'm going to let everyone else run their own nodes, and I'm just going to delegate my ETH to somebody else. Uh, and so uh, this is the classic Moloch trap where, well, if everyone delegates their ETH to someone else, then then basically we all... We, burn the system down in the first place. Uh, and so only a very few or a small percentage of people sh can safely delegate their ETH to others to stake on the network. And it needs to be significantly smaller than those that are actually staking their nodes and uh, staking their ETH and running their nodes at home. Uh, and so that proportion of like independent node runners versus delegators needs to be strong in the independent node runner sides. Uh, and so part, part of the reason why you're saying you don't think they're evil is that, look, this could be anyone, right? Like we could solve this problem on this particular staking as a service platform, but then just like Moloch, that as we used on Bankless so many times before, like you don't actually kill Moloch, you end up just pushing him elsewhere. Uh, and so it couldn't turn into like a whack-a-mole problem where, well, if people continue to uh, delegate their ETH rather than run their nodes, like you're just pushing Moloch in a different direction. And so like we can hit every single staking as a service provider on the head and say, well, no, like clamp down on this. And then it just goes to another one. And then we do it again. We actually haven't solved the problem, uh, which is why you reference layer zero and why I think I see a we are layer zero piece of sheet of paper in the, uh, your background, if that's what I'm reading correctly. It's yeah, a bit yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if that camera angle can get it. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, 
a friend of mine is like, hey, I, I want to sponsor your Layer Zero work. Wait, will you, if you'll put this up, um, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll send sponsorship your way. And I was like, that's, that's like a win, 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 win. Yeah, let's, uh, let's do it. Um, I, I truly feel like Layer 1 is not the base of the chain. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I get I get this thing I get DMs like Fizz you're you're wasting your time uh, none of this matter as a matter of fact when I first uh, advertised myself as the Beacon Chain Community Health Consultant um, leaders in leaders in Ethereum sort of discounted me they're like the community is cool but you guys are really just a bunch of people hanging around in a forum um, and I know differently. I know that Layer Zero is a formidable army. Um, we, we are, we're the farmers who go about our daily work until our network is threatened, and then we take up arms and we defend our network. Um, and so, I can allow people to not understand the strength of Layer Zero until. Uh, there's an attack. And when there's an attack, that's when, you know, I, it's time to summon everyone and say, hey, guys, um, hey, you know, people who are using this service and you, you didn't know that you were harming the network, it's time to activate. Let's wake up. Let's, uh, let's take responsibility for our actions. Let's come together. Let's protect the network. Um, and then when we're done, we can move on to something else. So is the, the, it's a very, very important to indoctrinate like a culture of node running in every single decentralized chain. Uh, and so is that the solution that you are looking for is you are just looking to change the culture around node running in Ethereum or are there like other, also other solutions for, towards solving this whole, like no one should ever cross 33.3% of stake supply. One of my favorite things about being super fizz is is I don't have to know all the answers. Um, I I get I get to look you or anyone in the eye and say I don't know, and I'm okay with that because it's it's not my job to know the answers. So, um, you know, the way that I envision the network is, um, to be honest, it's things like schools and hospitals and local community governments um, setting up validators and running nodes to support local infrastructure. I see it as individuals running nodes at home. Um, I see, um, I, you know, I, I see for people who don't have 32 ether, they're using, they're gonna, you've heard this a thousand times, trustless, decentralized, open source, and permissionless providers like rocket pool, not just rocket pool. It's the first, um, but we need, we need 10 rocket pools. Um, and, and that gives, you know, people the opportunity who's, you know, like I only have 0.01 ETH but I want to fight for our network. How do I do this? Um, and then you, you participate in one of these um, staking solutions that um, promotes network decentralization. So I've said this before, but I see, I see staking on the Ethereum network as a thin layer of validators around the world. Um, and right now what we have are a few... Um, a few very concentrated regions. Uh, it, it's something we can work. I, I, I want to uh, point out uh, ethsunshine.com, developed by Hanny Abu. Um, it's 
it's a decentralization dashboard that sort of, um, it doesn't paint a pretty picture, but it, it definitely lays out the work ahead of us. So the, the image that I'm kind of getting in my head is that like there's all these taking as a service providers uh, and there's there's also many more working uh, that have not been like uh, that haven't been released yet. Some like are in beta. Some are just kind of working behind the scenes. Then there are ones that are live. And it, it kind of reminds me of like the whole curve wars thing where the curve wars are like trying they're trying to bribe people to. Uh, to join their side, right? To to join their their um, their governance weight, or just like direct the curve emissions towards their pool, right? And so like the, the curve wars are trying to fight over the emissions of CRV, and then the staking as a service providers are trying to fight over their share of staking rewards. Uh, and every every single uh, staking as a service provider takes their fee, right? And so if they have more TVL, more assets under management under their pool, they get a larger fee structure, and that's the bull case for um, that's a bull case for every single staking as a service provider. And this this is uh, keeping Ethereum decentralized versus like uh, competition, right? Uh, Bitcoiners love to think to uh, Bitcoiners love to say that uh, Bitcoin is always uh, decentralized because even the biggest proof of work whiners will ultimately decay just because that's what proof of work hardware does uh, and and the, you know I don't really buy into that but like you could you could kind of uh, allude to the same thing going with ethereum security where just like the best proof of stake sec uh, security provider will win the one with the most uptimes the the one with the cheapest fees they will tr attract the most TVL and then they win because of sheer competition but what doesn't win is the ethereum chain <laughs> the staking as a service provider wins. But what loses is the whole staking as a service chain or the whole Ethereum chain in the first place, because if one proof of stake provider wins the race in the, in the same way where um, uh, CVX, uh, convex finance, won the curve wars and now it's basically a convex finance wars. If that happened in Ethereum and just like staking as a service provider, ABC wins the ETH staking game, Ethereum as a whole entire ecosystem loses. Uh, and now we don't really have a game to play anymore. So that is where that metaphor breaks down. Fizz, is this even possible? How how, how do we prevent, like, is this an even a, a possible future to prevent? Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, what you said makes so much sense because if you think about the most efficient design to run Ethereum validators, it's putting them all in one place. Let's centralize yeah. them. Let's, yeah, let's, let's just find... make a, a database. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 the funny thing is, as as obviously incorrect as that seems, um, people tend toward it. People tend toward that herd mentality. Uh, so th it's it's definitely possible for us to work through layer zero to coordinate to further decentralize um, the network. And it, it's something that that we'll have to continue doing forever. There, I get so many comments from people who say, "Fizz, how long are we going to have to do this forever?" It's 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 never going to end. We don't we don't develop a piece of software and upload it to GitHub and suddenly the network is decentralized. Decentralization is is the role and responsibility of holders. If you have an ether and you want it to be valuable, then you have to act in ways that bring value to the network. And so I think this will uh, bring me to my second question from the ETH finance community. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, lead into it with this. Uh, Bitcoiners like to say that uh, uh, don't trust verify or basically just remove all human governments, governance and just replace with math. 
for example, everything that we can replace with math should be replaced with math. And if you're telling me that like, we're going to have to fight this layer zero fight forever. That sounds like an uphill battle. Like, and the, one of the reasons why this crypto world works is that we've actually been able to replace uphill battles of the old world and replace them with downhill battles of the new world. Uh, and so Lo uh, Logris the Bard, his first question is, how can we economically incentivize a 22% soft cap of any given sta staking network? What incentives can be marshaled to incentivize staking networks to voluntarily cap themselves? What economic penalties can be applied to staking networks who grow too large? Any thoughts on these questions? Yeah, I have, I have a great thought. Uh, Logri is six times smarter than I am, so I can't wait to see what he comes up with. <laughs> like um you know david i i let myself not have all the answers i i'm not mm. i'm not uh some shaman who's like um laying out the path forward for everyone i i'm a member of the community who recognizes that um we have an opportunity for growth and so i don't want people to look at me for the answers i don't want people i don't i don't want to be a leader i want to um be a part of a movement that makes Ethereum stronger. So when someone like Logri asks a question, um, you know, hey, Fizz, what do I do? I am literally going to say, I don't know, Logri, what do we do? Um, because there are so many people in the community who know hundreds of times more than I do. I'm, I'm a school psychologist. Like, I'm a counselor. I don't know, I don't know crap about uh, economic structures. I know how communities work. I know how to um, how to de-escalate conflict between middle schoolers really well. Um, but when you get into complex economic concepts or developer concepts, then I'm very okay saying there are other people in the community who are more able to address those questions than I am. It's funny because I responded that it, it wasn't a joke. Like I I'm okay. Being normal. I can normalize who I am. I don't have to have all the answers. And so, okay, so you're really leaning into, you are just like sounding the horn. You're the Paul Revere who is saying the British are coming, the British are coming, but you're not necessarily, you don't actually know like how to strategize an army here other than to just, honest, uh, I don't, I don't even want to be Paul Revere. I, I, I'm doing a job that has to be done. I'm doing something that, um, I wish someone else would do. I don't I don't want to do this. I I want to um I want to trade NFTs and lose money on them. But <laughs> when uh, I got a question on that later actually. Yeah, when, when I see when I see a network that I value in trouble, mm -hmm. then uh I'm gonna give everything I have as you know, as a counselor to to do to, to save it. Um and it's it, it, I don't want to be Paul Revere. I, I want to just be a participant in a larger thing. Okay. So let me play devil's advocate for a second. Um, and so there's a, in the 2021, we saw this uh, growth of just like anti ETH maxis in the crypto world. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll name some names, even though you, you, you don't have to like the Solana communities, the avalanche communities, uh, the formerly Terra communities. Uh, there was like a, there's a newsletter out there that, uh, is, uh, uh titled, um, or it's not in the title, but it's like in the tagline as to why you should subscribe It's titled no ETH maxis. Uh, and so like there's this growing cohort of just like no ETH maxis, uh, out there. Um, uh, 
And ironically, the guy, the guy who runs that newsletter got the idea from, from me on our Kobe podcast when I was like, other people need to make other content for other ecosystems, not Bankless, not come crying to Bankless. That's why we don't talk about you guys. Anyways, I'm off, off on a sidetrack. The point is, is that like all of those like uh, don't be ETH maxis, don't be a Bitcoin maxi like uh, line, I'm, I'm willing to bet all of my ETH that as soon as like that one particular community, whatever that one community is, like were to flip Ethereum in market cap, they would just become like the, the new maxis, right? They would become the new avalanche maxis. And so applying, a, and just because like any underdog is like, don't be a maximalist, accept our chain. Uh, and then as soon as they're the, the upper dog, as soon as they're on top, they're, they're turn, they just turn into the new maxis, right? And so like, it's really just a strategy of where you are in the dominance, uh, in a dominance uh, uh, stack. Right, and so Rocket Pool being uh, having lesser uh, TVL than the alternative staking pools, do you believe that the Rocket Pool community has it in them to, if they were the ones that were at thirty-two percent of the stake and the RPL RPL token was like ten x the price, and and they're all like super wealthy and happy, do you think they would also be ready to? sound the alarm and cut back against their own interests, right? Like does the rocket pool community have the layer zero to protect Ethereum? Uh, in some ways I feel like it's a loaded question because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a member of the rocket pool community and I've spent a lot of time, um, in my own way, cultivating that community to hold what I consider to be the highest interests of Ethereum. Um, and so I know that, uh, many leaders in the rocket pool community have committed to um, to my my suggestion of 22% capping. And then Vitalik followed that with a 15% cap. Um, I also know Stakewise has, has voluntarily um, offered to cap at 22%. Um, I think it's easier when you're the underdog to say, if we get that big, yes. Because, uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of... It's a it's a feather in your cap. It's a promotional. Um, it's harder for that community who's already there to say, uh, "Okay, we'll we'll turn it off. We'll we'll stop taking money." Sure. Um, but Rocket Pool, in my mind, is aligned with the fundamental ethos of of Ethereum. It is decentralized. Permissionless. God, I don't. I don't want to say those things over again because it sounds so packaged. Um, but it's one of those things where I align with a community because they're doing uh, Ethereum the way that that I believe Ethereum should be done. Um, and if they if they reach that threshold, um, if if they didn't throttle, then then I would walk away. Uh, in, in the same way, honestly, that 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 I would have to. To look for other, not I. I don't think another chain exists. But I, if if Ethereum was captured, I would say, God, I I hope something else comes along. I hope something else, um, you know, is better. Can can I, can I circle back to this maxi conversation? Sure. Yeah. We've entered this this culture where we, we've sort of become an anti maxi culture. Um. And, you know, I'm even hesitant to call myself an ETH maxi, but, but I am right now. Uh, if something changes in Ethereum, then I may become a maxi for another chain. But what I really like to see are people who have, who have a, a wallet balance that is 
that is really based on one chain. If if you're a Solana Maxi or a Algorand Maxi, Cardano, like believe something and and work to make that better. And when you believe that that thing has failed, look for something else. But what I, what I don't have a lot of respect for are people who um, maybe play the, the top 10 on CoinGecko. These people aren't committed to any technology. They're just trying to make money. They're not trying to improve any ecosystem. They're not trying to, uh, to make things better for anyone. They're just trying to extract value where they can. So I, I'm really okay with, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really agree with, with people who, uh, who buy in, you know, to some of the alt layer ones, but fine, pick one, make it better, develop it, grow it, improve it, compete. Uh, that, that's, it, it's just, it's a pet peeve of mine that, that I have to be ashamed to be an ETH maxi. Um, and I'm not, Ethereum is is the future right now, and I hope it stays that way. And if it's not the future, uh, then I'm going to go somewhere else and support another project. So forever ago, uh, I want you to check my thinking on this. Forever ago on, on Bankless, not that long ago, it was like six or seven months ago, maybe less actually. Uh, I wrote a, a pool about like an intro. Uh, I wrote an article on Bankless titled like uh, something about like uh, the the case for decentralized taking as a service providers, uh, and it's basically all about Rocket Pool. Uh, and the the framing that I, I took was just like uh, first we had uh, first we had tokens on Ethereum, uh, and then we had a need to uh, swap tokens. So we made Ether Delta, and that got replaced by Uniswap. Uniswap's much better, and all of a sudden Ethereum solved its own problem of like liquidity. Now, not only do we we don't even actually technically need to depend on external uh, centralized exchanges at this point for liquidity Ether. If the Ether liquidity actually can come from internal to the network. Uh, so that's a really cool problem, uh, a really cool problem to solve. It's just like, yo, we can actually have our own liquidity environment for Ether, the asset, and that's really important for the security of the network. We need Ether to be liquid. Um, and the pitch was also about, well, well Rocket Pool is just like an, an app layer thing on Ethereum that can solve its own like centralization issues, where instead of staking with Coinbase, you can just stake with Rocket Pool, and it's an app layer solution to some of its own centralization problems. And like in theory, which will never actually be proven out in practice, uh, if Rocket Pool was somehow bug and exploit free, like it could just like absorb a hundred percent of the stake, and it could just be uh, it could be the dominant staking as a service providers. Why why am I wrong here? Uh. It's it's governance centralization. It is that Rocket Pool exists as a layer on top of the staking network, um, and as much as you can say that they exert a tiny little bit of authority, any authority at that governance layer is a risk. Um, and I want to I want to talk about two reasons it's a risk. The first reason is not likely, but it is essentially Rocket Pool saying, um, hey guys, uh, we have found a way to make more money. All we have to do is censor these transactions. So in our installer, we're just, we're gonna, you know, update this file. It's no big deal, everyone run it. Um, and because, you know, everyone who is subscribed to Rocket Pool um, is, you know, they're incentivized to to maintain that relationship, that governance relationship with Rocket Pool, and so they're very likely to do those things without questioning. 
Um, and so that's an unlikely risk, uh, but the fact that it exists leads to the second risk. And the second risk is its governance capture. It is that um, entities around the world who might be interested in using Ethereum look at the network and they see this artificial governance layer that controls the beacon chain and they say, I'm, I'm not comfortable putting my business on that chain because of the potential for one governor to control the network. Um, and that's where the real risk, risk is. It's not that they'll actually ever do anything. It's that third parties, nation states, corporations, will, will examine the chain and they'll say, this is not a decentralized network. This is um, a network run by two operators, or I'm sorry, let me call them entities, two entities. Uh, and at that point, um, none of us know that. Like we may not even be aware of it, but what happens is five, eight, 10 years down the road, the network is stagnant and we're trying to figure out what happened. Like, why didn't we explode? Why didn't things grow? Why didn't we get adopted? Um, because we've turned a blind eye to our own weaknesses. And, and that's the thing that, that I really want to encourage us to avoid. Were those two entities, Dave and Darren? Is that who you're referring to? Okay. No. <laughs> I, um, I, I was thinking, well, I'm not even going to say what I was thinking, but... Um, I, I just, no comment. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm like, I'm just going to dig the hole deeper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, upon asking that question, then, then like Ethereum has done a very good job making sure it doesn't have token governance, right? It's not Tezos where uh, the actual asset is on chain governance. There's explicit no governance baked into Ether. And so if Rocket Pool just takes uh, all the supply, even if it is maximally decentralized, it's distributing all the nodes, it's still produces on-chain governance round in a roundabout way via the RPL token. So we don't like that. So we definitely need multiple staking as a service providers to, to compete for, for all of this, uh, but not have one dominate. I was actually, I, so I was talking to uh, Hazu uh, a while ago about like why he supported the dominant current staking as a service provider. And his answer was that like, well, the alternative is really just centralized exchanges. Uh, and so even, even a compromised alternative is better than if there's like, imagine if Coinbase had like 34% of this, 32% of the stake that the dom the current dominant player has. And then also you added on the current amount that Coinbase has, then we're beyond 33%. We're in somewhere probably in like the 40% or something. And that's, that gets really scary. And that get, leans into right exactly what you're talking about. We're like, oh, sweet. It's, this is called Ethereum, but it's actually Coinbase chain. We don't really want that. Uh, yeah. And so having semi-decentralized staking as a service providers is a mitigation against that. Uh, and so th that was and, his and argument. Rather than as just to like, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Rather than having one semi-decentralized provider, really we're better off with a lot of providers. Um, a lot of providers who, who we can ensure are not colluding. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, one, uh, one, one entity will say, if, if we're not running all of the validators, then Coinbase will. Well, do you know what? The moment that Coinbase gets to 32.45% of the network, um, or maybe it's, uh, you know, someone, someone in Reddit was like, well, what if, you know, Microsoft is just going to take over the chain anyway? Well, the moment Microsoft crosses a threshold, um, and I'm, I'm in awe of the 15% threshold that uh, Vitalik suggested, but the moment we get to that point, that's when 
the community needs to say, stop, you're crossing a line. That is where layer zero comes in. So, uh, you know, for this, this one entity to say, if we're not doing it, someone else will, that's fine. Let someone else do it because we'll deal with them as well. We will approach them the same way that we've addressed you. Um, and that, that is how we enact governance as a community. Is social shaming at the layer zero level the most, the strongest tool in the tool belt? Uh, I don't, I don't want to call it shaming. I, I don't know. I don't want to call it, I don't want to do shaming. I'm not a shamer. I'm not anti anyone. I am pro beacon chain. So, okay. um, my, my goal for our community is, is to rise to a high standard and promote the beacon chain. I'm not here to shame anyone. I'm not, I, I appreciate the work of those entities who have developed staking solutions to allow people to participate in the network. I'm not here to shame them. I'm here to promote the health of the beacon chain. You said that you were in awe about Vitalik's 15%. Why is the 15% such a, such a crazy number? You know, I think it's something we, we all believed in the beginning. Um, I, I love... I don't know, it was a DevCon, I believe, where Vitalik is on stage saying, you know, um, you'll be able to validate on Ethereum from a laptop. Um, I was I was taken by that. I I believed that. I subscribed to it. I still subscribe to it. Um, and so that led me to believe that the Beacon Chain will be comprised of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people staking from their homes on laptops. Um, when that didn't unfold kind of as we expected, uh, you know, we're all asking ourselves the question: What level of what level of centralization of entity governance is acceptable? Um, and so, you know, I as Fizz, I chose twenty two percent because it requires um, so twenty two percent meaning one entity cannot prevent finalization. It requires more than three entities to change finalization. So. That seemed like a safe number. I uh, floated it around, um, thought about it, got some feedback on it, and it felt right to me. So the community level then is is twenty two percent. Everyone were, everyone was silent on that, and you know, I not everyone. The Ethereum researchers were silent on that, and it, it leads me to think, you know, Fizz, are, are you on the right track? Are you are you doing? Are, are you following the right direction? Uh, and then, you know, a few weeks after that, um, Danny tweeted, you know, 33% is an attack. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe maybe my, my gauge was a little off. Maybe somehow 22% is okay, but 33%, that's, that's, when, we, that's when we need to, to draw the line. Um, and I sort of even went beyond that, and I realized that 33% is a developer... Um, kind of limit where the community will kick in at 22. And then Vitalik uh, with his 15% message because, you know, Vitalik is here for decentralization. He's serious. He's not, he's not looking for any of the other um, centralized distributed networks that we could have created. Uh, I, I don't, I love what uh, Anthony Sassano says about not being a cult of personality. I'm not a cult of personality for Vitalik, but I have a heck of a lot of respect for him. Um, 
And I align with his dream for a truly decentralized Ethereum network. And when Vitalik says um, at 15%, you should begin throttling your operation, raising prices, changing things to dissuade more deposits. Um, I, I realized, you know, this is the right way. We, we're on the right track. We, the community is doing the right thing by encouraging um, further decentralization. 15% makes sense to me if, like, we're talking about thresholds here where, like, uh, if two entities had 15%, they still wouldn't get to the 33.3% required to prevent finalization. Uh, and so it goes from just, like, just from one entity at 22% to two entities at 15% are required. Uh, so from a threshold standpoint, that, that certainly makes sense. Uh, and... While it's not baked into the actual protocol itself in, in producing, and this isn't what Vitalik, Vitalik wasn't promoting that either. He was saying he should, uh, it should be part of the community like status quo. It should be part of the layer zero he was basically referring to. That if you are running a staking as a service provider, you should start price gouging. He used the words price gouging, uh, uh, which makes sense to me because like you get to balance... Um, if you're super successful and if you have a monopoly, you as a monopoly, you get to raise prices. Like you get yes. to start to price gouge. And so this seems to naturally fit. Uh, while we were talking about like one half of the equation earlier where there seems to be uh, a convergence on one dominant winner in the staking as a service uh, business because the best uh, service will win out. There's the other side of that where just like, well, if you are the one that's winning, you also get to increase your prices and you get to be the most lucrative. And so in theory, it'll make your token price go up a lot, but it'll make your ETH share supply go down a lot, which is kind of like good. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good outcome. I, I was impressed. You know, um, we, we use the tools we have available and the tool that I have available is community. Um, Vitalik understands economics in a way that I will never understand it. And to hear him suggest an economic solution to something that other people are suggesting should be a protocol solution, it's really elegant. Um, we we have this uh, kind of tiered approach, and it gives entities an opportunity to um, continue profiting, to continue lucrative profit profiting, to continue being highly engaged in the network, um, and to still be good network citizens. Like that's really what we want to be, our good citizens of the beacon chain. Part, part of the game that we're playing with Ethereum and with like promoting decentralization is to ensure that uh, our kids can also play that game. Uh, and so you were talking about, uh, and also our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids. And earlier you were talking about like um, putting monetary incentives ahead of responsibility. Uh, and if everyone puts monetary incentives ahead of responsibility, then we remove the ability for our kids to play this game. Because because we put money in, in front of responsibility, what happens as a result is that, well, the network becomes corrupted and then it stops being the network that we all want it to be. And then no longer can our kids play in this like fun times land, which is JPEGs and DeFi and staking, which is Ethereum. Uh, and so like, the, the word like responsibility have like um, has always like struck out as this like if you don't know what to do uh, in the world, uh, you find something that you can be responsible for. Uh, and then that gives you like the long term iterative game uh, because like you're promoting uh, the ability to make sure that that game is continued to be able to be played by yourself and then also by others. Yeah, I, I, I wholly subscribe to that. Like I 
um, I, I work sometimes to diminish my, my perspectives of responsibility on the chain because uh, so many of so many people who would argue with me say, you know, it's about financial incentives. Stop talking about responsibility. Um, I, I don't subscribe to that. I, I have a responsibility to the chain to steward it, to help it be healthy, to steward the community. Um, it, for me, and I, I hope for others, this extends beyond financial incentives and into dreams for the future. Like, I don't think of Ethereum as a financial chain anymore. I think of Ethereum as the foundational layer for our shared future. And I don't know what that shared future is going to look like yet. I, I think that decentralized society is going to be a big part of it. But I'm so excited about the future of what Ethereum can be that I'm done worrying about how much money I'm going to make. And I'm more focused on how I can steward this growth into something that benefits humanity. I, it, it's a better goal for all of us. Right. You said, but, I'm done thinking about how much money I can make, but then you said what you said, but in my mind, I hear how much value can we create for others? Like I'm done getting mine. Other people can need, still need to get theirs. And we need to make sure that the maximum amount of value can be created for others to be shared. You know, I, I don't want to be disingenuous. I, I rely on Ethereum for, for money. I, I want to be financially successful. I, I'm not I'm not above that. But within that, there's so much potential, so much opportunity to um, to give back. You know what it, what it leads to is uh, is being a value extractor versus adding value. And and my personal philosophy for anything that I engage with is to add more value than I extract. I think if if every Ethereum, um, and I'm not talking about you know people who think they're investing, they're really just extracting value. If every real Ethereum worked to add more value than they extract, uh, they would find that uh, they would they would grow old happy um, because they would watch the fruition of Ethereum. It would become something that that's beyond their wildest dreams. Um, and their financial needs would be met as well. How do you see, uh, how do you, do you think about like the similarities between what you do with, uh, being a, a psychological counselor for kids in a middle school with, with what you do with beacon chain? Like, can, can you parse out that, the, those parallels? Yeah. Uh, you know, so much of it, uh, middle school is where I learned to build consensus. Um, <laughs> it, it's like, it, uh, so consensus really is, in my mind, it is, it is first pulling and listening. Like, what are the different interests here at the table? Um, and, and then it's kind of like uh, distilling that to, uh, let's find one principle, one principle we can all agree on. And then instead of dumping that on the table, you go to individuals and you say, hey, David, I have this idea. I just wanted to run it past you. Um, and I see if you can get buy-in. Can I get buy-in with you? Hey, uh, David, you know, I'm thinking about, um, uh, you know, let's let's host six merge calls. Is that something you're interested in? Do you want to do that? Hey, do you want to do that? 
Great. Oh, for um, sure. <laughs> uh, so. So you get that buy-in with individuals, and then once you have that buy-in with individuals, you go back to the group, and you say, hey, everyone, I've been thinking about this. What do you guys think? Uh, and so I polled everyone. I had individual conversations with, uh, with the majority of the people, and then I put it out for public view. And that, to me, that's the consensus building that I learned from honestly dealing with seventh graders who like to fight about everything. Like, that, that's how it works. Isn't that just politics? Maybe. I, I don't. I, I would. I could never imagine myself as a politician. Uh, you know what? No. Politics tend to be self-serving. Um, mm. Every politician that I'm aware of. I don't trust many politicians. They're all they're all thinking, what's what's my piece of the pie in this? What what where's my slice at? Um, okay, never mind. Is that just governance in that case? Yes. Because like politics is like this uh, layer, this gamified layer on top of governance, where like we should be talking about just like instead of and we use the word politics when we talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill, when we should be using the word governance. Like politics is like the game of chess that people play around governance. Uh, yeah. So I, I've grown away from the idea of of governance, and I, I'm much. I'm much more comfortable with the idea of consensus because governance, governance is a game in, in many ways. Um, and I'm not playing games. I'm looking for, um, for ideas that people can gravitate toward. Um, maybe, you know, that, that if you took a, a pure definition of governance, it would probably be ideas that, that people can gravitate toward. But the word has been, it's been, through so so much that it now carries baggage and it's it's kind of a less pure word but consensus is still uh a reflection of ideas that people can gravitate toward so uh going back to some of the questions from the our eth finance community uh and this one's about bankless just juxt another position oh wow great name uh she goes uh to hit uh, David Hoffman, you, David Hoffman, that's me, uh, between the eyes with love, what should Bankless be doing to better support decentralization? Are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, you. No, this is great. Like, um, you know, we, we, we've, we've had some rounds, right? Um, the thing that you can do to better support decentralization is encourage people to stake from home first. If, if they can stake from home, have them stake from home. Um, Bankless, you've developed... David, you guys have, have an awesome network. I'm in awe of Bankless. Congratulations. Um, Thanks, man. You can use that network to train people and help people get staking in their home if they have 32 Ether. Um, you can also support minority staking solutions. Um, obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about Rocket Pool. Um, I don't promote Rocket Pool because I'm pumping bags. I promote Rocket Pool because it's currently the most healthy way to stake on the network. If Rocket Pool reaches, you know, 15%, um, and that's based on Vitalik's number, then then I'm going to definitely, like, steer toward another solution. But um, right now, Rocket Pool is a solution where anyone with 16 Ether can stake, and then anybody with, uh, you know, you can use Uniswap or whatever um, to to also stake through Rocket Pool. 
I think Bankless has, Bankless is the most powerful platform in Ethereum. You are the most powerful educator in Ethereum. That's, that gives you a tremendous responsibility to, um, to kind of get this good message out, like how to be a good network steward. I think uh, one of the reasons why we haven't totally leaned, in, leaned into that, because we don't have any technical person uh, at, on, on Bankless. And so explaining the technical stuff kind of gets away from us. And so especially when we are onboarding so many people, we're like, oh, yeah, you can stake your ETH with this like staking as a service provider. Uh, and then all, all the Bitcoiners are like, that's just delegated proof of stake with extra steps. Uh, but like, which is also a little bit of the vibe that's going on here is just like, it is delegated proof of stake if you choose the largest staking provider. Um, uh, and so like, maybe there's like some tiers to, to talk about this. And uh, uh, I do stake ETH on a node that's not at my home. And so I don't do it with a delegated staking as a service provider, but I've delegated it to someone uh, he's so a good like, man too <laughs> love that guy <laughs> uh, and so like maybe the tears go is like you you uh stake stake your eth at home with your own node with your own eth uh then you find or then if next best thing is find a friend uh stake it with them next best thing is find the most minority staking as a service providers and then beyond that maybe is part start where you have to stop recommending anything um how would you agree with that that like uh, yeah, yeah. degree of of help um yeah, th that's good. I, I I see I see two two roles there, and I I may this may be a, an oblique response to your question, but um, while your your while your base um, bankless DAO may not be technically savvy enough to support all of the users, they are technically savvy enough to create content, and mm. a lot of times you can have one technical user create content that can be reused for thousands of non-technical users to benefit from it. Um, and so I, that is, is one way. Um, the next way is, is really, uh, yeah, just continuing that education of helping people understand the responsibility that comes with staking. Um, and so, yeah, um, Staking from home, staking with a minority client, um, resisting, really just thinking through what does decentralization mean? Looking at resources like eSunshine.com and saying, um, it, it's it's tough for me to look at eSunshine.com. Have you looked at it? It, it shows uh, yeah, we have something it, like, I, I like 54% yeah. network health. Um, I... It, it, uh, I like to see success, you know, like, uh, but, but by seeing our weakness, by acknowledging our weakness, it gives us a place to grow from. And that's, that's a platform we can share. All right. So it sounds like I need to put a bounty out for a technical explanation, but also it's been a while since I've uh, spun up a node. And so, uh, maybe I should do a 2022 version of this, uh, and I'll turn that into a video. Um, uh, but then also if I could get some help from the bankless style, that, that'd be great. Cause I know you got some te uh, technical gigabrains in there. Um, supervis, are there any other like topics or conversation you want to get to before I want to get to some more fun personal conversations? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I want to ask, I, I wanted to give you the mantle of realizing that bankless is in a unique position to 
influence the future of Ethereum. And I think you know that. Um, that's why it's so important that uh, that you maximize the opportunity to to build this layer zero to decentralize Ethereum. Um, and I, I think you get it. Like, yeah, I, I think we, you're right we, we totally get it. I think the the fight that we've been fighting over the last year is is less about like internal problems because I, I I do think that Ethereum has this like fantastic autoimmune system, and so when there is an internal problem, there hasn't been an, an internal problem that Ethereum hasn't solved yet, uh, and so that's kind of why I haven't put too much thought and energy into this particular part of Ethereum's history because like in the future, hopefully in the future, like a year from now, two years from now, this is just one of many problems that Ethereum was faced with and then solved. Like Ethereum is yet to be trumped by a problem. Uh, and it comes from the layer zero. It comes from like this autoimmune response that we have when as a community, we actually do care about this stuff. Like we actually do care about promoting decentralization of all communities out there. Like it's one of the few communities that actually gets it Right, and I don't have to explain why we need decentralization, uh, and and to, to to illustrate to people that decentralization also really just means corruption resistance, and we would like to have like uncorruptible systems. And so, like the fight that we've been fighting for the mostly through twenty twenty one is like uh, trying to resist against centralized chains because that the the it wasn't really the the more centralized taking as a service providers that were the real threat to Ethereum, it was like narrative attacks from centralized uh, centralized chains. Like you think it's bad if some like centralized service provider only has a handful of nodes. Well, what about an entire chain? And so a yeah. lot of people were talking about like, oh, well, th it's this chain that's like going to be the new thing. And it's going to get this. This chain is going to be the thing that kills Ethereum. And so like that's been our fight for like the last 18 months or so, maybe a little bit less than that. And frankly, like it was absolutely exhausting, uh, yeah. and just like going up against these communities while token, while the token price is going up and up and up, is just like you, 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 you're just going, you're going against. It feels like an immovable object, which is yeah. bankless about decentralization, going against uh, an unstoppable force, which is like Sol, Avax, Terra, price, Luna, price, going up into the moon, right? And like. Yeah. It it sucked for a really long time, dude. Uh, and like finally, like we're actually able to like kind of cash in on some of that like uh, credibility for actually like uh, uh, we fighting, called it, uh, yeah, promoting like not necessarily like trying to say like hey like this terror thing not necessarily sustainable. You guys should be careful. Um, uh, and so like that that was our big fight. It's like not necessarily internal Ethereum strifes because like I said, like Ethereum has done a fantastic job. Like never really has like left a, a big problem go unsolved. And so we've kind of, especially when like our most of our community is, it's not necessarily like, why won't you talk about Rocket Pool? It's like, why aren't you talking about my centralized L1? Uh, and so yeah. like teaching about like decentralization from the external standpoint to get them into the Ethereum community in the first place has kind of been like Bankless's fight for the last like year or so. Uh, and so for like the Rocket Pool community that's out there is like, why, why aren't you guys caring about the health of the network? It's like, yo, we care about the health of the industry. Like, we're, yeah. uh, it's you guys. It's you guys that care about the health of the network because we'll pass the baton on to you guys. That, that's really honorable. Um, I, I couldn't have articulated your fight unless you described it to me. And now that you've described it to me, even though, you know, I, I catch a lot of bankless. Um, I... Uh, you know, I, I would I don't listen every day, but I love the roll-ups and I love, you know, so much of your work. Um, 
but I couldn't have articulated your battle like you just did. And when you, when you, you know, like, this is the thing I've been working on for 18 months. This is kind of where I'm at. You're pretty successful. It's pretty impressive. Um, I, I have the same kind of like, you know, I worked on client or consensus layer client diversity that it was a successful, um, a su successful initiative. You know, the current initiative is the entity size debate. Uh, like that for me, I, I hope it, I hope it doesn't take a long time. Like it, it does get exhausting, like being the person who's beating the drum about one thing that, you know, needs to get done. Um, and then I would say the next initiative for, uh, layer zero is, um, the execution layer diversity. And, mm. um, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I believe ETH researchers are ready to do, um, execution layer diversity now, but I don't believe we can successfully fight on all of those fronts at once. Uh, and so, um, the sooner we get the entity size thing worked out, um, the next Monday, I'm going to say, all right, guys, let's do uh, execution layer diversity. And, it, you know, I, I'm not sure how many people could articulate those initiatives that, that I know the same way that I don't know how many people could articulate the initiatives that, that you're working on. But yeah, they're there. I, like, they, they're really real things. Right. And as we go into the bear market, like it does present us with an opportunity to reflect on like, all right, what are the next big problems that we have to tackle? Because more or less the crypto industry uh, and every single chain and especially Ethereum being the biggest chain with the most to lose has to like turn and face and be like, all right, what's the next big problem? What's the next big problem? What's the next big, big, big problem? And then ultimately it's going to be like that for like years. <laughs> and it has been like that for years ever since Genesis. Uh, slowly those problems get like longer in time and not, not as a big of a deal, but like, we're still not anywhere close to the end of this whole thing. Uh, and so, but as we're going into the bear market and like a lot of the energy has evaporated out of the alternative layer one space, uh, mainly cause the tokens are down bad. Uh, like it does actually give a moment to like m look more internally rather than externally. I think like looking externally is for bull markets, looking internally is for bear markets, yeah. Uh, and so like, I do think that this is a moment to like self uh, and turn, turn and uh, turn away from the external world and more and towards and uh, addressing the problems for the internal world. So I do take the point that like now is definitely the time for like bankless to start beating the drum about decentralization in a different direction. So I, I do definitely do take that point. I, I do. So I, I have to acknowledge, um, I took a long position on ether because I'm so it's how press did it to me. So I, maybe I should blame you. Um, <laughs> I, dude, during that podcast, I opened up my Gemini app and I just like two X my <laughs> daily, my, my daily buy price. <laughs> Can I tell you, um, I was, I was on a multi-day travel listening to how press. I stopped at a gas station, turned on my mobile hotspot, went to DeFi saver and leveraged long because <laughs> And and now I you know probably not smart fizz but it was just so compelling like I right. <laughs> I, I like how do you how do you hear that and not just right. um, want to risk your position but um, 
Oh, what I was going to say, a, I, I, I took a an ETH uh, ETH chain that we shall not name short position. So, uh, not in dollar terms, but like put ETH in a compound, borrowed the asset that shall not be named, uh, sold the asset for ETH, and then put more ETH in compound. So I'm like longing the ratio, as, uh, like capital efficient way to to uh, to trade the ratio, uh, and then but also not be exposed to like macro markets, which is a nice thing to not be exposed to at the moment. Yeah, my uh, th- this is where. Again, uh, you know, I, I normalize being normal. I'm not an econ- I'm not great with economics, so I I don't allow myself to attempt right. those uh, those arbitrages. But I'm right. I'm always impressed. Oh, with I just I just listen out. to other people and be like, well, he's smart and bullish, so I will what follow is, uh, that. <laughs> I, are you familiar with this? Uh, the Logri, um He has a name for this because it's it's on his tokenomics explained. Um, it, it's the Logri double something, um, but it's it's. So I want you to look it up and I'm sure you'll, you know, commenters will, will point it out because it's, it's really interesting, but I'm like, I could, I could never pull that off. Like, I, I don't even know what buttons to click to make that yeah. happen, but I, I don't know. Um, you know, you'll have to check that out though. It's, it's really impressive. Um, one of the things I, I was trying to get to a minute ago and I got yeah, it, my, my own self. No, I did. I um, did it. I did it. Oh, I, I think that we're likely to view Oh, I, I, uh, Hal Preston it. I blame Hal for everything. Uh, I think we're likely to view what we consider to be the, the incoming bear market, um, as, as an L1 cleansing. I would, I would kind of like to think of it as a big L1 cleansing. And I, there's going to be, I call it the bear market wash cycle. Well, you know, there's going to be something new after this, and I don't know what it's going to be. Um, but, we we always have after these uh uh manias you know we, we mm-hmm. have a we have a, an l1 mania we had an ico mania uh we had an nft mania there's going to be another mania and i'm just curious like after we move past l1s after we're proof of stake i'm excited to just see the next mania unfold really fun yeah uh, it, it always happens. Uh, I, I remember going through the bear market of 2018 to 2020 thinking like, oh, everyone talks about how crypto goes in cycles. Uh, and so like, sweet, there will just be another cycle. And then I thought, well, if everyone's saying that there's another cycle, isn't that like the crowded trade? Like is, if that's the consensus bet, I thought markets do the things that people don't expect them to do. And everyone thinks that another cycle's coming. Uh, so maybe it's another cycle's not coming. And then another cycle totally came. Uh, and now I'm on the, like now that we're one more cycle beyond that, I'm like, oh, uh, you know, there's how big is the crypto world? Like it's still only like 1% of like global population that are in like the crypto world. And so like we could have like three more cycles for as far as I can tell. Uh, and so like it could actually just keep on playing out consensus over consensus until like the cycles do actually disappear. And it's just like up only, but modestly for a very long time. I, I love the predictability of these cycles. Like even mm-hmm. my wife who has zero interest in an ether, She's like, uh, you know, I've, I've said, you know, hey, we're going to tighten up a little bit because there's a bear coming and it could, it's, it's going to be a few years. It's no big deal. Um, and, you know, her response is, well, uh, so it's going to go back up. Just tell me how long it's going to be. And I'm like, well, that's the part I don't know. But I love that. Well, that Hal even, Press says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Call Hal. <laughs> I, God, I hope that dude's right because I, I've never been. Uh, 
So he's... Anyway, we could talk about Hal Press. Um, just so, such high signal uh, with mm-hmm. such common sense, like... Uh, again, I listen to a lot of you know, investors speak and it just doesn't resonate with me. But so much of what he said, especially with the concept of, of trying to... Uh, of supply trying to suppress the price rather than push it up. I'm like, damn, that, right. that really, that's, that's right. 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 Uh, you said t- you, you mentioned your, your wife, uh, does your wife feel like she shares you with Ethereum? No, my wife feels like <laughs> Ethereum owns me and she gets to borrow me um, <laughs> for, she will say, uh, how much do I even listen for meals? She's like, you, you, you come out for meals. Um, so it, it is, it's, it's a balance that I really need to work on. Uh-huh. I think it's a balance, like balancing a, a crypto in uh, all of our lives is like something I think everyone resonates with. So you are not alone in that fight, brother. It's hilarious because I'm, I'm always like, but honey, I'm working on this thing right now. It's a big deal to me. It's really important. I'm, you know, um, so it was just the CLR, uh, grants round. I'm like, you know, this grants round is going to be over in three days and then I'll be back. And she's like, do you hear yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be back in three days. She's like, you said that two weeks ago and you said it three weeks before that and you're still gone. And I'm like, ah, um, so yeah, it, 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 it is maybe one of my, one of my biggest weaknesses, uh, something I, w- I would love to get right. Yeah, no, I, I've had the same fight. Uh, it's just like Ethereum is so rich. There's so much, there's so many interesting people to talk about, to talk about so many interesting things with. So no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure every single person I've had on this podcast is probably is like, oh yeah, that sounds about right. Um, the other, the other personal question right. I have, sorry, yeah? the other personal I, question I, I have to. is, uh, where did Superfits come from? Uh, um, it's, it's not all that exciting. Uh, I have this buddy, um, so this guy called Corey was soda mm-hmm. pop fizz on AOL instant messenger back in like 1995. Um, and then a buddy of mine, Ben Dorf, um, set up a server called, uh, fizz as a short, cause you know, he was like, Hey, I need a name. Uh, and then I used that server very often. And when I was fishing for, you know, I, I need a, I, there was, I've cycled through thousands, probably a hundred usernames. Uh, and that was just the flavor of the day. I didn't know that super fizz would like catch on. Um, mm. I it's, it's so funny. Like I can still log into my old, like um, other community accounts and they're fun, but super fizz is, is, is my committed personality now. Do, does a rocket pool slash eat finance community know your actual name? Uh, you know, it's not a secret, but mm. I, because this is what I do, like I am fizz more than I am my IRL persona. The, the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in this weird way, I have become more comfortable being fizz than hearing my real name spoken. And I, I know that's odd. Um, you know, it, there was a transition period, but I, I'm more likely to respond to being called fizz than my, my real name. Interesting. Have you ever accidentally, like in real life, introduced yourself? Hey, I'm I'm super fizz. No, we don't. Real life. It's um, <laughs> the correct answer. <laughs> yeah, we we're uh, we're very still very COVID careful, uh, even though mm. uh, you know it is what it is. Um, so uh, we 
I, I haven't met a lot of new people in real life uh, in a while. So I, I'm really uh, looking for... We have a, a three-year-old who isn't vaccinated yet. Uh, and so when he gets vaccinated, I look forward to getting out in the world again. Yeah, and I'll see you at uh, DevCon? Maybe? TBD? All right, uh, one oh, last question Bogota for you before... did not did not go over well. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, here's, a, here's a question which I've uh, kind of rephrased from uh, Richard G. Richard G. Um, what's your favorite thing to do with $13,000? <laughs> the stoner can't... Stra- and it's so funny, like... Um, you know, I... I, I think of myself as an amalgam or maybe like um, an archetype of an Ethereum community member. And I think that Ethereum community members should play with a protocol. Like, we should play. And mm-hmm. uh, he's referencing uh, Stoner Cats, uh, and there's a Jonathan Mann, Song of Day Man song about um, the Stoner Cats debacle where, um, you know... <sighs> I was just screwing around and I, I wanted a stoner cat. So I went to MetaMask and just set the gas to some crazy number. Um, and I, I burned five, five gat five ETH in gas uh-huh. um, on a failed transaction for a stoner cat, which if you look not even, what is it like two weeks ago, we had that, uh, that land sale. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Other and people side? paid. Yeah. Yeah. People paid like tens of ETH for gas for that. And it was nothing. But we right. just, we weren't there yet. It wasn't normal yet. Hmm. And you'd never, did you end up getting refunded? Did they uh, give, give money back? They did. Uh, and I actually, yeah. um, so there are, are two sides to that. Uh, Jonathan Mann's song. Um, I, so I guess I ended up with that song and then ETH account bought that song, E-T-H-A-C-C-T, bought that song for me for 5.82 ETH and he holds it now. And then I got... Uh, a refund from stoner cats, but I, I didn't feel comfortable like getting a double you rebate. So I donated that to HodlerCon, con, um, ah. which is, you know, the trip to Hawaii as their seed money. Um, and so I, I, again, HodlerCon, con, the trip to Hawaii. I, I'm so sad that I can't go to that. I think it's just going to be awesome. Oh, uh, you can't go. Oh, um, vaccinations nice. can't fly. Uh, our son can't fly. And so, uh, you know, we, we stick together and, um, we'll have another trip in two years. Well, you'll just have to get, recruit someone to carry around an iPad so you can come on, come around on the iPad. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> it's, um, you know, a thing that, that people don't know, I don't always manifest this in my online interactions, but my family is my priority and, and I love that. I've chosen that. I'm always going to put my family above Ethereum. Um, and other Ethereans, they think they're first in my life. And I love them. Like, they're my family. They're, they're my online family. But at the end of the day, um, my family is, is my priority. And I, I, I love that. I, I love my family relationship, my family dynamic. Um, and you guys are just my second family. <laughs> well, you're the most dad-looking guest I've had on this show, so it's very, very. Wait, is that a compliment? I don't know what that was. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know if it's a compliment or insult either. It's just like a, <laughs> this is you look like a dad. 
Awesome. Super fizz. Any last uh, topics you want to talk to, uh, touch on before we wrap this up? I, I have loved syncing up with you. Um, I, I love what you're doing with Bankless. Uh, I love, you know, I, our community is so valuable. Um, I don't, it's not, it's not the number. It has nothing to do with the number, but the Ethereum community is so rich and vibrant. And a lot of that is due to what Bankless does. Um, and so, uh, I love you guys for that. So thanks for, um, thanks for your contributions. No, thanks, my man. Uh, I like to say it's like uh, all Bankless is doing is reverberating Ethereum values louder to the rest of the world. Uh, so it's not like we invented anything new. Um, I mean, we invented the Bankless brand and made some good podcasts and some good articles, but basically it's just a tool for amplifying Ethereum values. Uh, and so at the end of the day, it's all layer zero. Yeah. Do you, do you know the neat thing is there's no other Bankless. You know, like um, every time someone says... Anytime someone's critical of Bankless, I'm mm. like, uh, could you do that? Why don't, why don't you do that? We need more of that. Why don't you do that? I, I will subscribe if you do that. And they get quiet really quickly because the energy and skill that you put into this is so unparalleled um, that, uh, you know, there's nothing else like it. And thanks, my man. Yeah, part of the reasons, part of the reasons why I, I joke that there's no other bank list is just because anytime we come up with another podcast idea, we just take it and run with it. Yeah. <laughs> and so we end up putting like five podcasts out a week and, and five newsletters a week. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Fizz, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your, your brain on Layer Zero. It was so great to hang out with you, David. Thank you. Thanks, man. <laughs>